My name is Kevin Fowler. I am filling in, filling in for Pastor Larry today. If, uh, if you are a guest and you have not been here today, I am not the pastor of this church. So you have yet to hear one of the most uh, just amazing Bible teachers, which is our pastor, Pastor Larry. He just brings so much light and so much um, truth uh, and clarity to God's Word. And we're so blessed to have a pastor like that. Right now, he's away at college. And he's working on his doctorate, and I believe he, hopefully he's finishing up really soon. He's got to write a, a thesis, and uh, let's pray for him. He's got a lot, a lot going on today in the next two weeks. So he asked me to fill in this Sunday and next Sunday. And so I thought, hey, let's have a two-part series. Maybe that will keep y'all here, okay? Maybe. <laughs> That's my, that's my hope. If y'all will, turn to Hosea, the book of Hosea. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. The book of Hosea, chapter 1. It's near the book of Amos. It's near the book of Ezekiel and Daniel. But you'll find it in there, tucked away, Hosea. Let me give you an over, overview of what we're going to uh, do today, okay? Today, we're going to talk about Hosea the prophet, chapters 1 and 2. That's really where we're going to hang out. I don't have a PowerPoint. Uh, I don't have verses for you. So if you've got your phone, you can Google a Bible. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, awesome. There's Bibles underneath the chairs there. So we're going to just follow along. Follow along with me today in your, in, in your Bibles. And Hosea, this is, this is kind of the story. Hosea marries a prostitute named Gomer. And Gomer is symbolic of Israel, the nation of Israel. Israel was unfaithful to God. And Israel received blessings from her husband, God, but in return was unfaithful and played the harlot. So we'll find forgiveness and redemption in the story within the first two chapters of Hosea. And then next week, what we'll do is we will see God's final solution in a marriage ceremony which is the ultimate story of forgiveness and redemption. So today we're going to focus on Hosea and his marriage to Gomer. And next week we are going to see God's final redemptive plan in a marriage ceremony. So you're thinking, who's going to get married? That's a good question. All right. Uh, I know that there are some couples dating. We might just move it up to next week. How about that? Huh? Mom and dad? Got any? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no one's going to shake my hand after the service today. That's funny. So let's go to uh, Hosea chapter 1. And with that, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just pray that you would, uh, you would give us your spirit this morning. That you would give us your word this morning. That you would give us your truth. And God, I pray that they would, they would hear you, that I would hear you that we would see you and that these words would come to our life and, 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 and change our hearts so that we not only hear it, but we can live it. And God, we give you all the glory for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. little historical background of the book of Hosea. Uh, the, the two main characters of the book of Hosea was Hosea, the prophet. God had called Hosea to be a prophet. And he had given Hosea a word to say, to Israel, to, the, to God's chosen people at that time. And his uh, wife, Gomer. Kind of a weird name for a wife, right? Gomer. Not the choiciest of names. 
But at least the name of Hosea, it means the Lord saves in the Hebrew. The Lord saves. This happened around 753 to 687 B.C. uh, In the middle of the 700s before Christ. And around that time, um, the Assyrian army had surrounded, had overtaken a lot of the, the countries. Um, and so you have Israel, which is the northern tribes of Israel, and then the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And you can get on a Bible map and check that out. And you had Syria, the Assyrian army, had kind of overtaken all around their, uh, the, the Israelites. And the key theme to this is Israel's unfaithfulness to God and God's call to Israel to return to her husband. To return back to God. And within this Assyrian dominance, uh, the Assyrians also worshipped other gods. And they would call them Baal. B-A-A-L. Baal. I might say it differently than you say it. So, Baal. Uh, however, that rings, rings in your ears right there. But along with uh, the dominance, they brought in their foreign gods, their foreign Baalism of worship. And they were known as uh, uh, Baal worship. And, and Baal was a weather god of agriculture. Baal brought uh, fertility and rain and productivity in the land. And there were many shrines and statues of Baal and different forms of Baal that, that, were, uh, that, that were built And people would go to these shrines or go to these statues of Baal and they would worship. Well, with them surrounding Israel so closely, Israel gave in and started worshiping. Instead of worshiping their creator God, they started worshiping images of Baal. And Baal worship included this. Human sexuality, drunkenness, bestiality, human sacrifice, mutilations... And incest and etc. Baal worship encouraged uh, it encouraged people to engain, uh, engage in these sexual activities in front of the Baal shrines or even in front of the Baal statues publicly. And th- the idea was Baal would show favor on them because they were uh, they were showing their active fertility, and if people would show active fertility. Uh, sexually, then Baal would bless them in their land, the fertility of their land. And that was the crooked mindset uh, that the Assyrians and the other pagan nations had brought in to God's holy people. They started making them unholy and uh, with, with lustful eyes and lustful images. And uh, they, they turned away from the Creator. So Let's turn to Hosea chapter 1 and let's read Hosea 1, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now remember, we're dealing with a divided kingdom at this time. You had the northern ten tribes of Israel, and then there was the lower two, Judah and Benjamin. They would have different kings at different times. So when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord, the Lord 
said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. What's the common word in that? You can read it again, all right? There was a lot going on in this time of Israel. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. And as we say, as we can see, Hosea followed God's uh, command to say, Go, and I want you to marry a woman, and she's going to be unfaithful to you. And she's not going to love you and serve you as, as a wife should. She is going to turn her back on you and seek other lovers and seek other things. And I don't know, this is where scholars kind of uh, debate. They don't know if, if uh, Gomer was an actual prostitute when uh, Hosea married her or if he had married a woman and then she became a prostitute. But either way, the idea is that that God wanted Hosea to feel the pain of, of having someone that he loved. And then she would turn her back on him and follow someone else. God wanted Hosea to feel that. So that when he would go out and he would tell Israel the message from God, like Hosea would feel it. He, would, he had experienced, him, experienced the pain and the sorrow himself, and he would feel it. And then his message would be more true. And so Gomer also had kids. She had three kids. She had a boy, and then a girl, and then a boy. Not the greatest neighborhood to raise children in, since the Assyrian army had so much influence within their neighborhood. So Gomer, Gomer represented Israel's unfaithfulness to God. Israel had forsaken the marriage vow to God for Baal. Israel had committed spiritual adultery against God, but it wasn't so necessarily so in the beginning. All right, in Genesis 12, if y'all want to, you can flip over to Genesis chapter 12. And we find the, the beginning of the nation of Israel, where God meets with Abram at the time, Abraham. And this is what God says. Now the Lord said to Abram, he says, go from your country... And your kindred into your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was in the beginning. It was a good new relationship. Everything was awesome. Everything was new. It was like, yes, I will follow you. You love me, I love you, and I'll follow you. I want those blessings. It's going to be awesome. And then in Genesis chapter 17, we find that God makes a covenant with Abraham. And we're going to talk a lot more about that, about Genesis 17 next week. But the idea is circumcision came into play. God says a sign of this covenant will be circumcision among the boys on the eighth day. And so this, this God's covenant, it required conditions. It required obligations. It required duties. And if you fulfill these, these obligations, then I will bless you. If you don't fulfill these obligations, then I will curse you. And so it was, you, it was, it, 
You had to do your part, and then God would do his part. In Exodus 19, God says, if you, if you obey my voice and keep my commandments, and, and then it goes on to say, then you will be a special treasure to me. In Exodus 19.8, Israel's response. This was Israel's response to, to God's call. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And they said that with a kind, generous heart. And it wasn't long after that where they turned their back on God. Remember, even in, even in the Exodus, you know, God rescues them from, uh, from the Egyptian army. And they cross the Red Sea. And they go by the, by the mountain. And Moses goes up the mountain. And what do the people do at the bottom of the mountain? The Israelites, they're like, where's Moses? Where's our leader? And they just totally abandoned God. They made an image, covered it in gold, and they worshipped it. It wasn't going that long. But I mean, that's, that's our heart. I, I want you to, to, to grasp that. It's not that was their heart. That's our heart. Because sometimes we say, God, where, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel like you're near me. Therefore, I'm going to turn my attention to someone else or to something else. And we do that so quickly and so easily. But he made us worshipers. That's the cool part about being on the worship team and being part of the, the you know, just a worship leader or whatever. We understand uh, through the study of worship that God created us to be worshipers. We all worship and we're great at it. And there's videos by a pastor named Louis Giglio. And he even has a whole series on worship. And he's like, you and I, we were made to worship. We are amazing worshipers. But the idea is that the object of our worship a lot of times is wrong. We'll worship anything. But do we worship God? And that, that was the idea here. So God told Israel, he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Let's go on to read in Hosea 1, 4 through 9. And the Lord said to him, this is about his son. He says, call his name, the firstborn son, call his name Jezreel. For just in a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu. For the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow. That means I will, I will break their ability to fight for themselves in the valley of Jezreel. Well, Gomer, she conceived another, and she bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them from the Lord their God. I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by uh, war or horses or horsemen. Verse 8. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And she said, call his name not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. So she had three kids. The first one, Jezreel. These, these, the names of these kids were all symbolic of God, what God's judgment was going to be on Israel. So the first judgment... His name was Jezreel, and it was the sun. He, and there was the place. Jezreel was a place where the Assyrians were actually going to have victory and overtake Israel's northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes. The second 
child. Her name was Lo Ruhama. And her name mean, meant not pitied or no mercy. God would no longer show mercy for Israel. And the third child, being a boy, his name was Lo Ami. And that meant not my people, which represented the separation of God and his people. Gomer also had symbolism within this story. And let's read, uh, y'all can turn over to Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. For their mother played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. And therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. God warned Gomer, representing Israel, unfaithful Israel, to stop her whoredom and to come home to her husband Hosea. God built a hedge of thorns or a wall of thorns. And I know that politically we're not even going to go there, but there's a lot of talk about a wall and it's always on our mind. But I want you to kind of grasp the idea of this. God says, I will build up a wall. And this wall will be full of thorns. And it will be against her. And it will be for her. And I want to read a commentary about what one of these theologians wrote. And it's pretty awesome. He goes, I will hedge up, her way with, I will, I will hedge up your way with thorns. To bring Israel to repentance. God promised to set a hedge of thorns on the side of her path. So that, it, so that it would hurt whenever Israel went off the correct path. So that wrong paths would be hard to find. When God hedges our way with thorns, we usually don't like it. And you probably all have just a scenario in your mind right now saying, that was a wall of thorns. That was a hedge of thorns that God put up for me. We sometimes think that God is against us when the thorns hurt. And we can't find the wrong paths. But it is really one of the sweetest, kindest expressions of God's love to hedge up our way with thorns and to wall us in. That's God. That's a sovereign God who loves his children. It hurts. When we go into sinful paths that we know that's not God's plan for our life, it hurts. It's painful. We push people away. We get hurt. They get hurt. Blessings are thrown away. But when we stay within the walls of the thorns and we are on the path of righteousness, that plan and that purpose that God has, it's beautiful. It, sometimes it's not the greatest because we don't know the end. <laughs> you know, We can't see exactly what's in front of us. But we know that God, He is the prize. At the end of this path. So I, I appreciate that, uh, that theologian for writing the commentary there. Not my words. It was his. And so a wall of thorns was designed to keep us from sin and on the path of righteousness, of love and grace. And look at verse 7. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then she, she will say... I will go and I will return to my first husband for it was better for me than it is now. And so Gomer's response was to return to her first love, her husband Hosea, because it was better. 
saying, when I run into that hedge of thorns or that wall of thorns, and it's hurt and it's painful and it's shameful and it's not what God intended, you know what was better? My first love. God, that was better. His way was better than my way. His plan is better than my plans. In verse 8, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and the wine and the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. That same commentator that wrote, he he gave a, a, a pretty cool scenario. He says, imagine this. Imagine if Hosea had bought some groceries and took some money, and he went to go find his wife, his wayward wife. And he showed up at Gomer's lover's door. And he knocked on the door. And the guy, he answers the door. And he's like, "Um, is Gomer here? No, who are you? He's like, I'm her husband. He goes, I understand y'all are living pretty rough right now. And you're probably not providing for her. So I brought y'all some food. I brought you some money to provide for you and to take care of you. So here, and he drops this off. And that guy, he, he shuts the door and he turns to Gomer and he says, look, look what your husband brought. He brought some groceries. He brought us some money. And so they ate well that night and they celebrated and they said, what a fool your husband is. But this is how the Lord loves us. He lavishes blessing on us even when we are worshiping other things. He provides us with blessing when we waste it on other gods. That's what we do. So, as we read further into the story, God calls us to return to Him. Y'all turn over to verse 14, Hosea 2.14. He says, therefore, I will allure her. And I like what I love. I actually love what Troy said this morning about just God calling us and drawing us and and, and wooing our hearts. And check this out. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Anybody use that word allure lately in a sentence? Just, you know, I allured my wife or my husband. You know, no, we don't use that. But this is such an awesome word. I will allure her and I will bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. I will allure her. Charles Spurgeon, this is what he wrote on that. He says, this is a singular kind of power. I will allure her. Not I will drive her. Not even I will draw her or I will drag her or I will force her. No, I will allure her. It is a very remarkable word, and it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses power and all forces. This is how the devil ruins us. He allures us. He tempts us with honeyed words and sweet utterances, with the baits of pleasure and the like. And the Lord in mercy determines that in all truthfulness, God will outbid the devil. He will win us to himself by fascinations, enticements, and allurements, which shall be stronger than any force of resistance we may offer. This is a wonderful, precious word. I will allure her. Pretty awesome. 
Hosea 2, 16 and 17. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer uh, will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered no more. Gomer, representing Israel, won't even remember the lustful sins that she was involved in because of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is too powerful. His goodness is too strong. His blessings cover over the multitudes of sins that we have. You ever look back at your life and you say, kind of fuzzy memories. Not sure if I remember every single detail of your sin. Maybe that's a blessing. Maybe that's God allowing you to forget just some of the things that if you remembered too much in detail, it would just wreck your heart over and over and over. But God doesn't want us to hang on to what we were. He's saying you look in hope to what you are. Look in hope to what you will be. That's in Jesus. That's an awesome word from the Lord. And then he, go, he is going to restore us completely. Hosea 2, 22 and 23. And the Lord and the earth and the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for her. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The restoration is the reverse. He took the three children that Hosea and Gomer had and he reversed the curse. He said to Jezreel, he says, that used to be a place of defeat. But in the reverse, it's not a place of defeat. It's a place of blessing. I will bless you. For lo ruhama, meaning no mercy. It's reversed to God showing mercy to the fullest. God's name is mercy. His name is compassion. His name is kindness. His name is love. His name is grace. It's not no mercy. It's full of mercy. And to lo ami, which meant not my people, he reversed it and he says, not only will I, will I not call you not my people anymore, but you are my people and I am your God. Our response is, you are my God. The Baals or the pagan idols, they never asked for love. They never said, love me. They said, serve me. Be a servant. Worship me. I want your, your full devotion. I want a slave-like sacrifice. I want your obedience. But the true and living God, he isn't satisfied with our fear or our obedience or even our slave-like sacrifice and devotion. He wants our love. Freely given and enjoyed in a relationship with him. And if we miss this, we miss the heart of God's work in us and for us. That's the true God. He says love. And we're going to talk more about that next week. In closing, God gives us a new covenant, a new marriage covenant. Y'all look up to uh, Hosea 2, verses 18 through 20. I know I skipped a few, but go back to 18 and 20. I will make for them a covenant. 
on that day with beasts of the field, the birds of heaven, the creeping things on the ground. I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. Similar to Psalms 23, right? I will make you lay down in green pastures of peace. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast or the hesed, what pastors called before, hesed love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. God brought a new marriage covenant, not by weapons of war, not by the sword or horses of a cavalry, but he brought it through his son, Jesus. By the, by the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood on the cross, his forgiveness that res, redeems, and it redeems our lives completely. This new covenant is bound in grace and love and mercy and righteousness and justice. It's a better husband for the wayward bride that we are. Next week, we're going to talk about the new marriage covenant. And it's going to be similar to what I taught a few weeks ago at a Bible study from Ephesians 5. And it tells wives, it says, wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave his life for it. And we're going to look at this new covenant and who's involved in this new marriage covenant and what that means and where, do, where are we at in this new covenant and, and, and what does it mean, like who, who, who are we as the bride of Christ and, and who is Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. That's going to be next week. But let's praise God that he redeems us and he forgives us. And we can read in an Old Testament just in two chapters to say Hosea, Hosea representing God. He pursued his wife. He pursued her in her sin. He loved her. He forgave her. And he allured her back to himself. And he says, I have a new marriage covenant for you. That's God to us. God is saying, I have a new covenant for you. I have a new love for you. And you are my people, and I am your God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for your word. God, thank you for this message of forgiveness and redemption. Lord, I pray that you just open up our hearts to this, to know that, God, in our waywardness, in our sinfulness, God, you still love us. You allure us to yourself. You fight for us. God, help us to be faithful to you and to love you with our whole heart and help us to pursue you with a passion. Lord, I pray that our lives would represent who Jesus is and I pray that we can forgive others as you have forgiven us and that we can love others as you have loved us. In that, we give you glory, all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.